Welcome to the Hawkeye Psychic Podcast. Hello everyone, you're very welcome back to the Hawkeye Psychic Podcast. Joined by Liam O'Brien uh, for this podcast episode, again, our weekly rugby roundup. So really we're looking at the European Rugby Champions Cup, really focusing in on the Irish provinces. It was pretty decent performance, all the four provinces made it into the last 16, created four Irish provinces winning have to mention about COVID-19 impacting a few fixtures. Cass, uh, let's be brutally brunt, being screwed over at the stoop in the last 10 minutes and the playoff fixtures being completed. Liam, how are things? Oh, mighty man. Yeah, yeah, I'm really uh, in the great form with that thumping win in Thomas there yesterday. All is yeah. right with the world again. Exactly. You know, it was a great atmosphere in Thomas, you know, with the Lifting of the restrictions, uh, there was a kind of a carnival atmosphere around Tolman Park yesterday, and we'll get to that in due course. I suppose, uh, Liam, apart from Munster Rugby, of course, uh, any standout moments for you uh, in this round? I, I genuinely, I, I was I was quite blown away with um, some of the Ulster play um, in the, the win against Northampton. <laughs> I think it was um, Stephen Furness who put it aptly when he said about Mike Lowry, he's a bit of a Shane Williams about him. And that, oh, that, yeah. that certainly that was that that really that was so true. I mean, um, also I I think what has to stand out is the, the cast performance against against Queens, you know, totally unexpected, like yeah, and so controversial really at the end as well. Um, so that's kind of what stood out for me at the moment. Yeah, yeah, I'd I'd go along with you on the cast results and don't want to kind of. Uh... Say it, but I mean, last week in our podcast, we kind of wrote off Cast at Our Peril, thinking that Cast wouldn't really turn up. My God, did they? You know, it was a really sensational performance from Cast. The five tries, they had Quince at a pin or their collar. I thought last quarter was only one team in it, but hate to hate to allude to officiating crews, but I thought the last 10 minutes there were some key decisions went against Cast, particularly, you know, forward passes, breakdown was an absolute lottery. Mike Adamson, the official, was just literally not getting those decisions, key decisions right. And even Dumbrandt, really, at the end, I thought, you know, in fairness to Adamson, he's not giving the try what the TMO sees on the footage. God only knows. I think it was just poor from the, that officiating crew. And I think that was one of the standouts. And I think probably the other standout for me, probably Muster Rugby, obviously, but I think Leinster Rugby as well. Again, continuing their momentum now. You can argue all you want about the opposition in the last two games, but to compile 153 points, scored seven, conceded, it really sends out an ominous sign to everyone else in the European Rugby Champions Cup this year. And maybe we can start there on Saturday in the recreational grounds. That lovely rugby town, love the place. But unfortunately for bad rugby, to supporters, it's been a horrendous season from start to finish, and it really didn't get any better lean uh, for them against Leinster. Maybe the first 10 minutes was pretty 50-50, but thereafter there was only one team in it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, I mean, first 15 minutes was competitive, it was a game, and then the next 65 was, you know, pretty much, we're thinking, worked out as a a point every minute, conceded by Bath. Um, Leinster, Leinster just blew them apart and Bath weren't the races. I Just how quick the ball that they're getting, uh, Leinster, that obviously is always going to make a difference, coming at you almost in wave and wave, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I suppose first 10 minutes for Bat, I suppose, if they were looking at video analysis, that first 10 minutes, at least they kind of got into Leinster. Granted, Leinster had a few unforced errors. They set up field position. 
did concede four penalties early, Leinster, in that game, which gave that rugby an opportunity to score points. But again, they they said no. They went for the line every single time, and their attacking game plan wasn't really at the races, I'm afraid. Didn't help as well that Sam Underhill and the other back row colleague, too, the back row for Bath, uh, were had to retire hurt early with concussions. So, but again, besides the point, I think the tide had already turned at that stage. I thought Van der Flair again had a monster game. Conan, as you say yourself, Liam, it's the ability of them to clear the rooks, to present that ball to Luke McGrath, Jameson, Gibson, Park. The options then that Sexton has as ball runners is just outstanding. And I think Hugo Keenan as well is growing from strength to strength again. I thought he was superb in his attacking play from fullback. 12 carries, 129 metres gained. And quite a pivotal moment for Jimmy O'Brien on that first try. You know, that pass to Jimmy O'Brien could very easily have floated forward. But again, had the composure when being hit to execute a massively impressive pass to O'Brien. Who had a standout game with four tries. Well, he did. I mean, I mean, I, th- I thought he had a lot to do with all his tries as well. Like, you know what I mean? He really had to show his... Um... He to show his spurs, you know, uh, his his pace. Oh yeah, I, I was hugely impressed with the guy. Um, yeah. and yeah, obviously, look, that that back row is, as Jamie Heaslip kind of I suppose alluded to, uh, pretty much Keelan Doris maybe is the the most complete back row in Europe right now. Oh yeah, monster game as well from Doris, wasn't it? Like he's ball carrying everything about it was just phenomenal. Now again, Bath were literally pinned to their own line now from minute 15 on. I mean, they were missing tackles at a rate of knots. I think the video analysis for Bath Rugby early this week is not going to make for great reading. What were the stats there, Mark? The actual uh, official stats, yeah, yeah. 38-3-8 missed tackles. I mean, if Johan Van Gran and JP Ferreira are looking at that, which they probably were, I tell you what, they have a massive preseason ahead of them to even get this bat rugby team anyway in defensive shape ahead of next season. It was just an absolute horror show. Guys not filling defensive lines quickly enough, labouring on the defensive duties. It just, there was line break upon line break. I'm counting here 15 clean breaks for Leinster, 38 defenders beaten by Leinster, 683 metres gained. I mean, these are, like, if you're a defensive coach for bat rugby right now, Liam, I think you just might as well give up. You know, six hundred and thirty something meters. That's like in in two or three games, you wouldn't concede that much meters. You know, like that's think of it. But they were they were leaking space all over the pitch. It wasn't just the back three. It was literally everywhere around the fringes, anywhere. Like Van der Fleer's try, perfect example. It's a great running line, but again, where's the defensive line speed? Or there's no awareness there from that. It was just oh, uh, I mean. It's stuff of nightmares, really. So best luck to Johan and uh, JP over there next season because they definitely need it. I mean, Jimmy Brown, as we go back to, I thought the four tries were very different. I, I think his kind of composure on a few of the tries were very, very impressive. Particularly the last try with Hugo Keenan, you know, the kick in behind. Yeah. You know, he made sure that he was onside for the kick. And again, his pace, you know, as you said, an awful lot to be doing here in terms of the execution and getting these tries down and you know, I think it was a very impressive performance from him and deservedly man of the match. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, they, they're, they're, they're back to where they were, aren't they, really? That even you could see now playing uh, like a Toulouse or a Saracens or a Racing. I mean, really, they will be the team to beat. 
Oh, exactly. I, I think there's still an awful lot of up frustration within that group. What what happened in round two, particularly that Montpellier away game and circumstances to that game being cancelled. I think it's kind of rolled into round three, round four now. I think Montpellier and Bath really aren't the real litmus test here for Leinster rugby. They'll probably be first to admit it that, you know, there's far bigger, greater challenges ahead. But in fairness, you can only beat what's in front of you. And as I said, 153 points scored seven against like their scoring difference is superb. I mean, you know, and again, they're going to bode very well. I mean, you know, we'll get to Connacht rugby in due course, but, you know, setting up at the, the All-Irish Provincial last 16 tie there as well. Um, all kind of bodes well. Again, it all really depends on Six Nations. How does Leinster contingent get out of it? Hopefully not too many serious injuries. But again, their squad that is so massive here, Liam, that you can see him going very deep into the tournament. And then as for Bath, I mean, Challenge Cup boys, they're going into it. But I think there's more priorities at play here. Uh, maybe trying to get a win or two in the Gallagher Premiership. But I can't see where the next win is coming from for Bath. And they have a home tie, I believe, against Harlequins next, which it doesn't get any easier for them. No, it does not. Uh, speaking of Harlequins, I suppose that perfectly uh, brings us into the yeah the, the Queen's um, cast game there on Friday night. And, you know, as as much as, as casts were, were brilliant, they were so hamstrung by every single key decision in that game by Adamson. And it was just, you wonder, will he ever get a gig again as a, as a referee after that, wouldn't you? Well, what's... What's the recourse here? I mean, he's now selected to to officiate in the Six Nations. Six Nation organisers can't drop the guy. But I think there has to be, you know, lessons learned particularly. And I think this is where I think head coaches, all they're looking for is a bit of more consistency into decision making. And I thought particularly in the breakdown, particularly Liam, he was all over the place. He was really second guessing himself what was happening. There was at least one or two cast steals there. There was one where... I think there was one where the cast player quite clearly gets the ball, you know, literally, you know, both feet, you know, literally perfectly legal. And then he falls over and Adamson then delays the decision and gives the penalty to Quinns, which I thought was an extraordinary decision. The Harlequins, you know, again, never say die attitude, kept going for the full 80 minutes. They're infamous for the late comeback wins. But I think even for their head coaching team, it panned up to them immediately. It didn't look to them that they were going to get another penalty. They may eventually score the try, but I think the try was a bit, yeah, iffy to say the least. It was, you know, and I think from a Harlequins coaching perspective, they wouldn't want the game to have ended in that sort of fashion. But still, they get their win, they get their bonus point, and uh, yeah, it, it, they had some lovely passages to play. But Cast certainly did show up, and if Ben Bottick had brought his kicking boots at all on here, Liam, I think Cast would have been out of sight. We wouldn't have had to have talked about the last ten minutes to be fair. Yeah. And also, even even the, the Don Brown try at the end, I mean, you definitely couldn't clearly see the the grounding. So, I mean, even even that decision at the end, like pure pure daylight robbery, really, wasn't it? Yeah, but in fairness, Adamson, he's, he's you know, he's not sure. So, in fairness, the guy is under yeah. pressure after a few decisions beforehand. It's a key decision. It's right at the end. So, he needs to make the right call. So, going upstairs to the CMO, quite obviously, and... Again, the camera angles were very inconclusive. I mean, it's inconclusive from Adamson, so I don't know what other camera angles than McNeese actually see here, but it just, um, yeah, again, cast, unfortunately for them, uh, on the wrong side of an absolute classic here, but, um, you know, there was quite clearly a forward pass as well. Marcus Smith there, you know, in the lead-up in the closing stages, not really pinged. 
yeah, it's hard to be labouring on a point in terms of, you know, things. But again, as I said, Ben Botica had a game probably to forget, really. He <laughs> did botch one clear try opportunity. I know they scored immediately afterwards. But again, he's kicking off the tee. He was so good against Munster in round three. Yes, it deserves yeah. him completely in round four. So, I mean, there's stuff there kind of that Cass can look at as well and improve on. But yeah, I mean, kind of set the tone. And I think, you know, if you were to lose rugby fan or player, I think you were a little bit nervous when you saw Cass in that performance because potentially it looked at one stage a Cass would overtake um, overtake uh, Toulouse, which would meant a very, very nervy Saturday and Sunday for them. But as it turned out, uh, Harlequins won and they secured their second spot in the pool. Um, yeah, maybe we can go to the Ulster Rugby game anyway. Um, then on Saturday night against ASM Claremont, uh, Liam, 34-31 win. Didn't expect such a tight finish, really, considering how the first hour had gone on this one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, three tries to the good for it in the first half and and playing um, playing some really, really great rugby. Yeah, for sure. And of course, the, the place was just lit with um, the performance of well the young guys really Doak and and Balakoon and particularly Mike Lowry and that guy is uh just (laughs) he's running from every angle like literally like and every time he gets the ball like Shane Williams before him uh he is just burning up that pitch oh look it's a phenomenal performance I hear for Ulster from 60 minutes we did say last week that Claremont in this podcast that Claremont are very Jekyll and Hyde team and particularly they don't travel too well away from home. And they've had bad memories of Kingspan in past seasons. And But the Ulster Pack, you know, the confidence that they had, Liam, as well. They were creating penalties. They were hitting the line. The ball, again, you know, yielding two tries here for Rob Herring. Now, I've seen some Twitter or social media reaction here in terms of Herring. Uh, the legality of at least one of the tries, you know, kind of breaking off uh, maybe a little bit. But... Again, there were good executions from Rob, Rob Herring, from my perspective, you know, really to build the, the foothold. And then Mike Lowry, I mean, he's up against Morgan Parra. Now, Morgan Parra is no slouch. I know he's kind of getting on uh, in his latter uh, end of his playing career, but still, Parra, as a scrum half, he absolutely strips him for his pace, like, on the outside. It was just a phenomenal line break speed. Like, it was just out, off the charts, like, and just... An incredible score, and I mean, for Lowry, 13 carries, 78 metres, is just spoke volumes in that of his speed, his movement, and creating an attacking platform for Ulster all night. Yeah, and, and I mean, there, there's no one like him in Irish rugby at this moment, in, in the end of story. And you could see him tearing up trees in the Six Nations and just cutting through the French, the English, anyone who's put it in front of him, he, he can do that for sure. Yeah, like he did show versatility as well. Uh, Liam, we'll probably get to it in due course when when Billy Burns actually went off. He did go to number ten. He has played, yeah. you know, particularly underage as a number ten. Um, so you know, he shows his versatility there, particularly in, you know, shirt look. I'd love to see him play along with James Hume as well because I think Hume had a powerful game. In the three quarters, you know, without McCluskey there, he really did provide an awful lot of attack and go forward ball. He had 12 carries for 31 metres, you know, setting up a good setup for Vermeulen's try as well, straight after the break. I mean, again, ASM, Claremont, were just all over the place. You know, their unforced error count was just ridiculous. I mean, you know, just, you know, restarts were just an absolute nightmare for them. Um, Racket went, goes off in the sin bin, Ulster makes hay, and I think Robert Balakon. You know, had a superb game as well. 
just um you know when that try goes over you're kind of like look this is game quite clearly over here bench gets cleared and then all of a sudden Clermont kind of start to life with Lopez and Pino coming on it, it was a very nervy finish wasn't it yeah, I mean, look, this was there. There are two. There are two most outstanding uh, players do, who were, who came on, who were arrested, basically. And if it had been another five minutes, uh, I, I I'm pretty sure I can say that Clermont would have actually gotten her try. I, I I think the way it was going, um, yeah, very very nervy altogether. And I suppose you know the the, the bench for Clermont made a difference rather than there was nothing really they came on for for Ulster. Yeah, and if you look at the stats. The bench for Ulster missed six missed tackles during the last 30 minutes. I mean, that's that's the tail of the tape here. The collisions that were were being won by Ulster rugby suddenly were not. I mean, you could see, you know, particularly on the Van Tonker try, it was a super interchange of passes to lead up to that. You know, they did create with it was great passing between forwards and backs on that. Raka as well. They had the confidences up. Pino literally was running the show and Lopez particularly deep. Um, Ulster were very much in containment mode. We've seen it in Town Park, the kicking game. We have what we hold. Unfortunately, here in this instance, they were just giving Clermont nice opportunities to create attacking platform. And Raka scores and then Camarillo, um, I'm, I'm probably mispronouncing the back row, then goes over on the mall try. And if you think about it, Lopez missed a kind of regulation conversion there on the first one. I mean, geez, you know, as you say yourself, Liam, another minute, two minutes there. There were just the collisions-wise, just the bench impact just didn't fire for Ulster. And this is maybe indicating a bit of squad depth here because they've had issues as well. Northampton have come back at them. You know, there has been that traditional little blip at the end of games. And... You know, we're kind of going to look ahead to the last 16. They have mighty to lose coming up. Uh, they can't afford to have such a, a breakdown in their performance going into the last 16 game against the reigning champions. But did, did we think, Mark, that they really got the short straw there in terms of, you know, uh, to, to, to bonus point your way to the four four wins and then to end up in Toulouse? Because, I mean, I, I could see Toulouse at home in the first leg, you know, 15, 20 points, you know, kind of target that 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 Ulster would have to get in the second leg you know yeah it's a total ball break Liam whatever way you talk about it you know I see Rob Herring today you know 100% can win this competition to be honest when you're ranked second seeds in the pool you would have expected the seven seeds no disrespect for anyone else to lose to be in the seven seed was very unlikely you know, and we had said last week we predicted that Ulster would go deep into this tournament, particularly because of their top two seeding. But again, as you say yourself, a catastrophic or a disaster in Toulouse, it keeps pressure on the home team, particularly the top seed. And this will be the dynamic on these last 16 fixtures. If you don't approach the first leg well, you're then up against the wall a little bit in terms of the advantage suddenly going to the lower seat sides, maybe it's better to get the away leg, you know, the home leg out first and then build on the prey on the pressure of the home leg for that higher seat. Particularly fans will get anxious after 10, 15 minutes expecting a try to happen. Crow gets quiet, performance then regresses. So I think from most perspective, it, it, it's, it was poor <laughs> that they had to pick to lose, you know, in last 16. But again, they have to be there to be shot at, I suppose, um, uh, to lose, and you know, it could be maybe a good opportunity for them straight after Six Nations 
to maybe take that scalp. So, I mean, they certainly have the ability here, Liam. No doubt about it. Their backline play is exquisite. You bring back Ian Henderson into the, the equation. You bring uh, McCluskey back in. You know, he kind of builds that squad depth again in key positions. I think it'll be, uh, you know, they could go in there with a little bit of confidence and hopefully like likes Lowry, Hume continue their excellent form with Ireland as well, coming back in the Six Nations. You come back in a whole sort of renewed, so which is great. And I have to mention Nick Timoney as well here, uh, Liam. 19 tackles, 11 carries. You know, it was a monster game for Nick Timoney uh, just from start to finish. Like, you just, you know, got through a massive amount of work uh, during the game. Isn't, the it, others... isn't, it, isn't it incredible? I mean, yeah, Nick Timoney, just an incredible uh, performance. And to think that you have, you know, the Leinster back row, the Munster back row, uh, Timoney, you know, any combination of three there will be more than hold their own against any any other European teams in the Six Nations. Yeah, we're, we're absolutely blessed, Liam, in terms of the back row options that we have. Timmy in any other era definitely would be kind of eyeing up the starting spot, but it's just, we're so stacked. We were talking about Leinster there, their back row, you know, Munster as well, the versatility of a tight burn anyway, to get into that back row, you know, for certain test match games in Six Nations. But I would hope, anyway, Timoney would get game time, along with Mike Lowry, along with James Hume as well, because they're playing top-of-the-ground rugby at the moment, which is quite key. Um, I suppose for ASM, Clermont, uh, I mean, they showed their Jekyll and high character. I mean, 28 missed tackles. The bench impact, obviously, huge with Lopez and Pino coming on. But um, I thought their tackle count, their work rate was superb. I mean, their back row contributed to, let me calculate this, 59 tackles during the night which kind of says an awful lot in terms of Ulster rugby's dominance during that first 60 minutes particularly. And uh, Jedverezic, uh, the second row, had 21 tackles, you know. So, I mean, you could see the work the work rate was there. It was just the execution, the cohesion wasn't there. They finally got it to click in the last quarter. And I think it was maybe down to kind of maybe the Ulster, as we said, the dip in a little bit of performance. But again, 34-31 for Ulster, um, you know, four from four. Can't argue with that. And, you know, again, to lose will be the video analysis will be on them for another day. But I think it's been a marvellous uh, round robin uh, for them in the Oakland Road. Um, so moving swiftly on uh, to Connacht Rugby. Uh, so went to Paris, played Stade Francais. And again, as in most Connacht Rugby games this year, it's been it was an absolute whirlwind um, fixture. 38-31 loss. Plenty of talking points here, Liam, to be perfectly fair. What were your thoughts? Well, I, I only really saw the, the bare highlights of that game. But yeah, I mean, Connacht, what can we say about a, a team that has, you know, 15 guys and, and blows 11-point lead and they should be home and hosed at that stage? Absolutely home and hosed. Um, all the old failings, the kind of running, either running out of steam or not having the, the, the impact off the bench in the last 20 minutes, it just is always come back to haunt them. Um, so, so squad depth obviously is a, is a clear um, problem in their area. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, you can, you can dissect the video analysis, positive negatives here, 592 meters gained from 134 carries, 14 offloads, 172 passes, three clean breaks. But the fact of the matter here is the tail of the tape is 32 missed tackles. Liam, in 80 minutes, I mean, you consider Latu getting sent off after 46 minutes. I think that's way too high uh, for a team 
that'll really kind of harboring any. You, you don't deserve to win if you've missed that much tackles in any region. You know, you know, 14 penalties, and I think we're going to come to front five here. Uh, I think it really did expose the squad depth here. You know, Beelan was out. Um, Dennis Buckley has been a long-term absentee there, but again, these two guys are absolutely key for that kind of scrum because, quite honestly, at the moment, the rest of the guys are very de- development players, and again, it's an arduous task for these guys to go over to France, particularly the front five that they selected. It was very young, very inexperienced. You can argue Tom or Delahunt is definitely an experienced uh, hooker, but the other guys within you know, within the side were very inexperienced and it did show, I mean, at various stages, Scrum was always in trouble. Um, yeah, and it just sets up field position for Sad Francais when contact had, like Alex Watton scores after six minutes, you think, great, they're going to kind of press it home. Then all of a sudden, Scrum, scrum penalties come against them, securing, you know, Sad Francais get a foothold in the game, you know, and I think as a consequence, you know, Blade gets a, a try, you know, you're thinking, yeah, they're going to kick on again. Doesn't happen. It was just, I thought they were giving up an awful lot of easy penalties and Stafford say were kind of warming to the task, particularly second half, particularly when Latu went off and it's the expletives of expletives to Wayne Barnes. It's the wrong guy to be doing it, to, you know, uh, to an unfairness to Wayne Barnes. He, was, he, had to, he had to act, really. It was, you know, and I think Latu, I think it was more so you know, maybe complimenting his own performance than anything else because he was having a mixed bag. But I thought last 20 minutes here, Liam, we talked last week about composure, keeping cool heads, executing the process. And what do we do? The penalty counts, starts to soar. Connor Oliver, not back 10 metres, yellow card. And then Stad with down, you know, it's 14 v 14, take their cue, score the points required. And then right at the end, they get that um, penalty, retaken penalty, to win by the six points to get them over the line and pit poor all Cardiff Blues in the process. I just thought there was no failings, you know, the failings from the previous week. It just, to me, I don't know what the issue here is, but it's if, as a coach, oh, yeah, I think there's mental baggage here, definitely within the Connacht camp after this uh, result. Yeah, I mean that's the question that that it's the, men, the mental frailties now that they're they're displaying regularly. That's something that is very hard to 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 work on in terms of closing out games that they should be they should be comfortably winning. And maybe this game was actually even worse in a way than last week, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Considering that you know what was at stake, essentially a, a good bonus point win there, and and, and you're going to get a good draw for yourself, and instead you end up playing against uh, Leinster yeah um, and I think the fact that I think it galvanised that to be fair to the host when that two did go off you know the second yellow card he's off they're down to 14 players there's, there's one or two ways they could have gone for a start at that stage they could have just literally given up the ghost and said challenge cup domestic action that's our forte but they could see that they were getting joy off the set piece Connick were leaking penalties in the scrum so the gander was up. So, I mean, I turn from a comic video analysis perspective, I think it's a horror show. And I mean, we can cite about all the guys that were injured, unavailable, but again, this is squad depth. And, you know, we can talk about all the good battery, the packing play, your bread and butter in European games, particularly when you go to France, is your pack. Particularly your front five. You have to front up. You have to build a platform. It never really materialised yesterday. And I think, to be fair to Connacht, 
Leinster rugby. And again, I think the pressure is off them to a certain extent. I think, you know, coming after Six Nations, we'll see what the Leinster condition, as we said, how they get through it. But again, from a Connacht rugby perspective, they have nothing to lose here. But you'd hope that a few of their key guys come back in, uh, like said, Delan, Bealham, um, guys like that have to come back in because the squad depth is clearly not there. It's been exposed. Leinster, Leicester Tigers have definitely exposed that from round three. And Stad obviously did see that in the video analysis coming into the game as well. And, you know, when you have those kind of underlying issues in terms of closing out games, Stad were never out of it. And I think the 38, you know, it, it was just, yeah, I, I think, you know, in fairness, it's a great achievement to get to the last 16, but I think it's just a matter of the result. To me, it's another one that has slipped kind of rugby by a little bit. And as you say yourself, on another season, we could have been talking about Connacht maybe floating into a top four seed here very easy. So, no, I think there is room, aspects of improvement we've seen where they need to improve now. Yeah, and, and, and I suppose if we think uh, to uh, Connacht, you know, in four games, one victory from four, and then, you know, two points in terms of the within seven and and, and the, the bonus point. So in the other games so that that's a pretty bad stat to win one from four games to qualify for the next round as well yeah and again as we would say always here Liam, you know when we'd be in Tolan Park win your home games the road trips kind of will take care of themselves if you're kind of solid in your performance again that Leicester Tigers games for me you know you're 18 points up I know Leicester have been pretty impressed in Gallagher Premiership but you have to be closing games out it's no excuse to not close out those games um, and same here and I think there was a little bit of a psychological effect here you know they're 11 points up and I think it just felt to me as if they were just there was no confidence there from my standpoint that they were going to actually win this you know um, you know when they were 11 points up you always felt there was a sting in the tail here even with Stad down to 14 players and you know so it's disappointing I think they have time now to regroup get bodies back which is key but I think the off-season really has to be honing in on front five. You know, Delan is gone to France, obviously. But they're going to... You know, Gavin Thornbury as well has been a big miss as well for me, particularly in that second row. He's been a long-term absentee. But again, these guys not being around, you're expecting other squad members to step in. And maybe it's a little bit unfair on Murray, guys like that. But again, you're you're owning the jersey now. So you need to put your best foot forward. So... Um, yeah, I, I think there's food for thought there from Andy Friend and his management staff, uh, for sure. And again, Stade Francais, the reward for uh, beating uh, Connacht is uh, a nice little local derby against Racing 92, which local derby games, you know, form book typically would go out the window. But, you know, if Racing 92 do approach the game in a, you know, in a professional manner, I think they have far too much for Stad. But I think it's a kind of a fascinating game for the organisers, particularly with the Parisian uh, fan base. It'll definitely get themselves uh, well psyched up in early April. Um, so we'll leave Connacht. We'll go to Munster Rugby then. Uh, Liam, you were at Tone Park yesterday. And a very convincing 45-7 win over Wasps. Uh, what was your uh, yeah. reaction, really? But the, the, you know, the good days are back. The good days are back. A good thumping there. And very, very impressive all through the game, actually, Munster were, you know. Um, played at a different sort of left, different pace than in previous games. Um, passes were basically sticking. Um, we had line breaks, huge carries. 
I mean, we had we, we to me it was it was it was Coombs as back to his best you could say from on yesterday. Like, he was just bullocking like you know driving lads out of his way. Lads were bumping off him, <laughs> and 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 surprise surprise that led you know to two to try is just that sort of horse kind of um, power. <laughs> Yeah, um, and in terms of delighted to see uh, Healy's control of the game, I'm just delighted to see that. Zebo, and we would think that Zebo wasn't actually scheduled to, to start, and in the end, he tore up trees. He's Munster's top try scorer in European Cup history, um, and he was displaying that, that sort of X factor that we, we, we've come to expect from him all down through the years. And I know last week we were saying that, why was he given two years and <laughs> this week and be like <laughs> give him three you know <laughs> oh yeah you know yeah uh, and the, 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 i think the 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 coombs stats like you know 53 meters made for 12 carries uh six tackles um yeah that was huge altogether um tight burn again uh 50 meters six carries and uh, two two turnovers, ten passes, nine tackles. Yeah, fabulous. Yeah, no, it was fabulous. I mean, you'd have to say wasps, wasps came into the game. I think the game management intent was to, you know, really create width under attacking play, and the young fly half of wasps was a. Uh, didn't realise where he was. I think for the first 15, 20 minutes, he was very cavalier in his attacking approach and uh, really did create an awful lot of problems for Wasps, unfortunately. But, uh, I mean, set aside that, I thought Munster from minute one, uh, Liam were very kind of... Um, they looked more relaxed, Liam, did you feel? I mean, from minute one, you know, there was uh, an exchange of passes there between Klein and Healy, and I know Klein's pass to Healy didn't go to hand. But you could see kind of the willing support runners. It set the tone, I think... For the game itself and I mean the pack I did like the way that there was a bit of directness in terms of some of their pack play you know some of the ball carries hitting the fringes gaining you know gaining meters you know it was very good quick work ball as well for Murray to work with set up the first try essentially Murray to burn Dan Robinson in a bit of a panic stops the ball down and uh, Murray collects it to go over straight under sticks and I think that kind of set the tone and as you say yourself Healy uh, had an outstanding cameo and his kick, you know, in behind the Wasps uh, defence for Zebo's try was very well worked and no better guy than Zebo to execute on uh, 18 minutes to really kind of cement Munster's advantage. Oh yeah, for a big, big time. I mean, that that was was the crucial score as well. But yeah, lovely dinky kick. Healy showed his, his, his range there with that one and... Yeah, the pressure seemed to have been off uh, kind of from the start. Munster just just played with abandon, no real uh, fear. Um, they you know, they all had always had uh, players running onto the ball, so they always had choices. You know, in other games we just we just didn't have have uh, create those opportunities. Big carries, big carries will will open up the pitch for you. And I, I thought Lockman and uh, Barron. Were, were outstanding as well in terms of front row. Something that we were lacking for a while is some real power in the front row. And that, you know, they were also very prominent in terms of the, the line-up mall as well. Exactly, yeah. Given the late switches as well, David Coyne denied his 200th appearance to the province. Late scratch along with Keith Earl. So there was a little bit of an alteration to the match day squad, but in fairness to Lockman, 
Um, I, I thought he was a superb all game. Same with Barron as well. I think their mobility around uh, open play as well. They're good ball players, uh, Liam. Um, you know, so, but yeah, I think, you know, going back to O'Donoghue's try as well, it's all about Gavin Coombs as well, isn't it? it just, you know, uh, in fairness to Tom Young, he's, He's highlighted to the referee, I suppose, you know, an infringement in scrum time. Completely loses his train of thought. Before he knows that Gavin Combs is literally barreling towards the poor old wasp fly half. We set the platform. And then, in fairness to Jack O'Donoghue, who is winning, he's 150 cap for uh, the province as well. I think the youngest player to actually do that, which is a fantastic achievement from the Waterford native, you know, crashes over. And I think at that stage, for me, game was well and truly up. Granted, Wasps, in fairness, did have possession in that first half. You know, Gavin Coombs goes to the sin bin. We did have to soak up a bit of pressure, particularly at the end of the first half. And there was a key exchange there right on the Munster line where we, you know, defended valiantly and, again, picked our moment very well to actually win a turnover ball and clear clear pressure. So, you know, I thought that was a key point of the game. Was looking to kind of get back into it. Robinson, Robson was very instrumental I thought for Wasps anything that was done was done through him he got his try obviously but I thought that was a key exchange particularly towards the latter end I think it was minute 36 minute 37 where we did win that turnover ball it kind of signified the end of the Wasps challenge really didn't it yeah indeed I, I mean if, if Wasps had got that like you know you're back to whatever 14 points for him and pr- probably a really close uh, second half again, you know, and, and and Wasps probably going to start hammering tongues second half to get another try and, and nothing in it at that stage. So, yeah, that was absolutely crucial, man, yeah. Exactly, you know, and then at that stage, uh, <laughs> yeah, because, uh, like, Healy spiral kicks were just out of this world as well. I mean, just the, the commentary, like, Andy Good could, couldn't get over this guy, the spiral kicks that he was hitting it to touch. There were just, there was one then in the second half, now granted there was Breeze advantage well in his 22 basically floats it well into 10 meters uh, you know it was just his distance on his kicks is just absolutely phenomenal and kind of did set the platform for Lockman again pack again very instrumental um you know we'd be knocking on the door a little bit at the start of the second half but Lockman I thought it was a very tidy store, score to secure that bonus point that we needed to overtake Bristol Bears uh, yeah again off you know I suppose you know very strong uh, line out mall uh Baron with the with with the big carry in uh, for in the, in that uh, set set up and then yeah uh, Lockman kind of barreling over yeah absolutely so that was all done dusted happy days at you know 40, 42 for three minutes yeah yeah and I suppose it would be remiss as well I didn't mention the the horrific you know injury there to Tom Young and we're hearing good news anyway about Tom Young as well that be Dai Young's uh, son um, you know, he was down for a lengthy period of time there, but it's, it appears as if he's been released from University Hospital Limerick. Wasps have sent on good wishes and thanking medical staff of Munster and University Hospital Limerick as well. So we wish Tom Young all the best in his recovery there, but because it was a bit of a scary moment, I think there was, is it 15, 16 minutes of a kind of a hold up there, which understandably needed to happen on the player welfare, but hopefully he gets well soon. And again, the game kind of lost shape after Lockman's try. I think, you know, Munster were kind of well in charge. You know, ha- you know, there was a few kind of balls that didn't stick. But they ended in a bit of a flourish with Zebo and Scannell with two lovely tries, uh, to be honest. It did show our attacking with that. We are capable of uh, creating a bit of an attacking go-forward ball. Yeah, and, and, and Scannell, uh, key in both. And I, I, I just thought in the last game even as well against Cast. Himself and and Farrell were a lovely partnership, actually. 
and in, in this game they were they were they were actually outstanding um so yeah scandal there just lovely cut out pass to really get things going for uh for the try there for zebo and then of course we had the the the, the last minute uh as well when actually scandal scored yeah no look throughout rory scan's career i've been a big fan of his i think he shows an awful lot of versatility to the province you know, he started as a fly, you know, a halfback. He's now gone into the three quarters and he had never let the side down. And I mean, he's a great ball player, you know, he's a great boot on him, but, you know, he's attacking sense as well. As you say, uh, Liam, great to have a guy like that alongside you if you're a Ben Healy really looking to impress. I thought uh, Scannell really did link play very well uh, throughout and against Cast as well. You know, he did definitely was very instrumental as well. So, I mean, it was a great outing for Scannell and, you know, particularly with Damien Delende kind of continuing to be sidelined. I mean, Rory Scannell is, has that jersey at the moment. So we'll kind of see. But, I mean, 45 points. I mean, looking at stats here, 40, 40, 452 metres gained on 110 carries, eight clean line breaks, Liam O'Brien, uh, which is, you know, people being criticising and I mean I don't know who alluded to it in a match interview you know the other people can get stuffed in terms of their you know negative comments here that Munster are focused in on improving every week and you know we're kind of seeing that body of work in the last few weeks um, you know 10 offloads 140 passes and obviously 6 tries as well uh, which I think you know there was a bit of a razzmatazz atmosphere around Towan Park you know with the restrictions lifted and Definitely the performance really did follow suit, which was great. I think Wasps, unfortunately, uh, the game got away with them uh, too, far too early. You know, they started to go too expansive too quickly and really did expose themselves defensively. But again, Munster did show their confidence. I thought the link-up play between the packs and the forwards was really good. Um, and, you know, hopefully more to come. And you know, we do have our familiar uh, friends from Exeter uh, in the last 16. I think that will be a mouth-watering tie when we go to talk about it in April as well, Ali. Yeah, well, I... And so that concludes the last 16 um, playoff uh, picture, really, because Montpellier, <laughs> my favourite Montpellier team after uh, round three against Leinster, pulled up a magnificent win against Exeter Chiefs uh, to then kind of fundamentally change the kind of playoff landscape a little bit. So after all that, the 37-26 win for Montpellier, um, the last 16 draw is kind of as follows. So Racing 92 faced Stade Francais. Ulster Rugby uh, faced Toulouse. La Rochelle versus bordeaux Begles, who were sidelined due to the COVID-19 cancellation against the Leicester Tigers. Leinster against Connacht, uh, the all-Irish province provincial tie. Leicester Tigers playing ASM Clermont-Auvergne. Harlequins entertain Montpellier. Munster-Exeter. And Bristol Sale Sharks in a Gallagher Premiership uh, draw. Liam, uh, that's the last 16 draw. Some moat-watering ties. Uh, what ones kind of stick out for you? Yeah, look, I mean, I mean, I was, I somehow for me, La Rochelle against Bordeaux would be a, a kind of big standout. Two real narrow packs going hammer and tongs at it. Um, I'd be really interested to see that. Um, I, th- I think that the, the Queen's Montpellier game, actually, as well, you know, Montpellier with with our top guys back, that's going to be a, a real open game. It's going to be the opposite of maybe La Rochelle and Bordeaux. Um, so look, looking forward to that as well. And obviously seeing how we do um, in our draw against against Exeter, where we're actually in the first leg, we're away from home. 
Yeah, certainly. I, I'm. I think two ties for me that really kind of standing out would be the Ulster Rugby to lose game. We've talked about it. You know, Ulster have gone four for four in their pool phase, and to be rewarded with a to lose uh, fixture is you know look at draw, but. I think with Ulster, if they can be competitive in that first leg in um, Toulouse, no reason why they can't get a result and advance there. I think, you know, we'll see some expansive backline play, particularly with Toulouse backline and also the Ulster backline there with Mike Lowry lighting it up. You know, you'd have DuPont, you have Antimac there, you know, literally orchestrating things in Toulouse. There's going to be plenty of tries in that one. Um, Munster, Exeter, sure. Yeah, but uh, for me as well, I would say Leinster Connacht. Um, you know, just the all Irish provincial um fixture. I think it's again from a Connacht rugby perspective, you know, the pressure should be off them, to be honest, and they should be able to perform and hopefully they'll get their the bodies back that they require, particularly front five voice, to really put it up to Leinster in that home leg in the sports ground to then go to RDS. You know, it'll be um there'll be two magnificent ties whatever and again with Leinster rugby you know the 153 points you know conceded again we have to kind of bear in mind who uh, they've been playing here Montpellier really didn't come to the party in RDS and bat rugby were absolutely abysmal last weekend so again have we kind of seen the true kind of level here of Leinster rugby I mean we know they're outstanding the potential is there they're elevating the game you know game in game out but I think Connacht hopefully give this a right crack and I think this could be one of the ties of the round, I think, in terms of spectacle, tries and entertainment, really. The Munster Exeter Chiefs game, I think, is, you know, probably one of the tightest ones there, to be perfectly frank. Two teams that are, you know, traditionally very pack orientated. Um, yeah, we can probably preview that for another day, uh, Liam. But yeah, I think those three do kind of step out for me anyway. Um you know, that La Rochelle Bordeaux just screams pack platform dom- domination uh, there. So um, there's some nice fixtures. And again, the Parisian Derby as well. That'll really get the, the French uh, rugby uh, fans, particularly around Paris, um, excited, uh, particularly there between Racing 92 and San Francisco. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. If you liked what you heard in this podcast, why not subscribe to the Hawkeye Psychic podcast on either Amazon Spotify, YouTube or Twitter platforms. You can also follow me at Hawkeye Sidekick on Facebook and Twitter for the latest sporting opinions, articles and reports.